Thank you for downloading this lunchtime talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, the Art Gallery's Assistant Curator of Australian Paintings and Sculpture, Elle Freak, discusses the work of Pip and Pop in the 2018 Adelaide Biennial of Australian Art, Divided Worlds. Mani Naputni, I'm glad you could all be here. Um, and my name is Elle Freak, for those of you who I haven't met, and I'm the Assistant Curator of Australian Paintings and Sculpture here at the Art Gallery. Um, and so, as you can clearly all see, today we will be talking about um, this very exuberant world of Pip and Pop, who is also a Perth-based artist called Tanya Schultz. Um, but before I go any further, I will acknowledge that we're meeting today on the land of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains, and I would like to um, acknowledge the continuation of Ghana cultural heritage um, and beliefs and relationship to the land and pay my respects to elders past and present. Um, so I'm preparing for this talk today. Um, I did a lot of thinking about the artist, and particularly the way that she works. So I was lucky enough to be able to write about this work for the Divided Worlds publication. Um, and it was a very interesting process, as it always is with contemporary art, <laughs> about writing, writing about a work months in advance um, of it actually being realised in, in, in life, in its materiality. And so I did a lot of... Um, I spoke to Tanya a lot um, on the phone, via email, as she kind of travels around the world to do these installations. Um, and it became very apparent to me that Tanya works um, through this very interesting process of putting together many ideas into, into a, a realised work at the end. But it's a process where she researches um, and looks to the world around her for inspiration. So she researches... Um, stories that relate to mythology and folk tales, um, and in the end, they become a whole, um, but they can feel quite disparate. So this made me think about not knowing exactly what the work was going to be. It left me really thinking a lot about the idea of the exhibition in general. Um, so as you all know, the exhibition is curated by Erica Green, the director of the Samstag Museum of Art, and she's taken... Um, the idea of Divided Worlds, so the exhibition title, Divided Worlds. And for me, it really does look at all of our differences and the diversity um, of the world, and particularly of Australia. So we're looking at, of course, Australian contemporary art. So these ideas of duality were coming to mind, and I just started seeing them everywhere. <laughs> ideas of duality in gender, in nature, um, in politics, um, more recently. And I was also starting to think about this kind of dual idea of a dual um, and the notion of duality in the work of Pip and Pop. And it became most apparent to me that she really does kind of slip between the worlds, um, material worlds, and then, of course, the dream world. So essentially, I think at the core of her work, and especially this one for the Adelaide Biennial, is this kind of, um, this kind of paradox between what we can see, what we can imagine, um, between the real world and the imagined world. And she's really asking us, what are the differences? What are the advantages of the two? Um, are they so different? How do they help us? Um, in a very basic sense. So... As I was talking to the artist, she was talking to me um, in, in very clear stages. 
So she would reveal, she revealed to me in my first email with her, um, she sent me a five-page document which just listed a number of stories, a number of folk tales. Um, it was five pages, but there were many, many um, little references to stories, um, which I found really fascinating. I've never had that with an artist before, where they don't speak to me about the material of the work or the space um, or any kind of clear concept of, a, of an ending, but rather it was just this exploration of ideas. And they relate to many different cultures. They're from many different times, and they're stories that have also been reinterpreted throughout time and, and by different people and places. So if you'll bear with me, I will mention quite a lot of them today. They seem to be integral to the reading of the work. Um, and then I'll also go through and think about all the other ideas that she presented to me. So ideas of utopia, of colour, of obviously materials of space, and then finally, um, this idea of ephemerality, so the very temporal nature of the work itself. So Tanya openly admits that she is fascinated, if not obsessed, with this idea, um, or with ideas that exist in the imagination. So as I said, her mind hosts a number of utopic stories and places, um, and it's really the, the commonalities and the parallels between them that are then realised in the final work. These are stories of happiness, of creation, of survival. They are tales that kind of warn of the end of the world. They also offer a different world. They are places where inanimate objects or nature come to life, or where the landscape is made of food. Um, these are often cautionary tales of excess and abundance, wish fulfillment and fleeting pleasure. So one of the main stories that she refers to and that has fascinated her for quite some time, so um, she's been working with this kind of material language since 2007. So she refers often to this fictional Dutch medieval land of plenty, which, and I'm sorry about my Dutch pronunciation, but I believe it's referred to as Lallikelont. And this story tells of a promised land made entirely of food. Um, and so she spoke recently at an artist talk on the opening weekend about this story. Um, and she explained to us how this land is where you go and you can fulfill any desire, all of your desires. Um, it's a land where rivers are lemonade, where bread grow from trees, um, where houses are made from pancakes um, and from sugar. And so it really is a story of excess. Um, what interests me in, in thinking about this story is also that you enter this kind of utopian land through a mountain which is made of rice pudding that you must eat. So you must go through a journey of eating this rice pudding in order to actually find this utopian place. So the, the dynamic, I think, presented within that story plays out in this work. Tanya is particularly interested in creating for us the sensation of wanting to eat her work. Um, but, of course, it's quite toxic, and I'll speak about why in a few moments. Um, but she's interested in the kind of desire for wanting something that it's actually not good for you. I also want to just talk briefly before I go to too many other tales about the title of the work itself, because I think it reveals a lot. 
It certainly reveals the artist's intention of, of placing upon us a lot of different meanings um, for one idea. So the title of the work is Darkness Will Disappear, Magic Light Gonna Take You For A Ride. So again, there's this, there's this idea of duality, of light and dark. Um, it's this acknowledgement of the present as being dark. It's also almost a promise that light will come into the future. Um, but for me, what was key about the title, and it also relates back to the story I just mentioned, the Dutch medieval story, um, is that in the title is the phrase, gonna, light is going to take you for a ride. So, of course, that phrase of going to take you for a ride can mean that you're... Um, you know, taken, taken for granted or there's some sort of deceitful plan, um, some, you're going to be kind of cheated in a way. Um, so she's, she's giving us all this optimism, but at the end she's kind of making us kind of look closely and pay more attention. So some of the other ideas, uh, some of the other stories that she mentioned to me um, was the Chinese fable, The Peach Blossom Spring which tells of a chance discovery of an ethereal utopia where the people lead an ideal existence in harmony with nature. Again, what interests me about this story, and I think is what also interests Tanya, is that to get to this place, or, or actually this place rather, can only be discovered and, and departed once. So it's a place that's difficult to find, and then you can't find it again. She also mentioned the Kunlun mountain range, um, which may be familiar to many of you as a mythical mountain range, um, which is considered by ancient Chinese as the center of the world. It connects the world of matter and the world of dreams, or heaven and earth. Um, and again, a lot of accounts of this place tell of how the mountain is difficult to find, surrounded by water and steep cliffs of immense height. I also found the kind of poetic descriptions of this mountain range quite interesting in reference to this work. And I'll just read to you directly one of those descriptions. It says that it has gem-like rocks and towering cliffs of jasper and jade, exotic jeweled plants, bizarrely formed and coloured, magical fungi, fungi, and numerous birds and other animals, together with immortal beings. So we're starting, I think, to see how all these different places, both in their concept and in their materiality, come through, I think, in the final work. Um, again, just to add another layer onto many layers, I was thinking about the etymology of the word utopia, um, which could be familiar to many of you, but I'll, I'll explain it um, nevertheless. So the etymology of the word utopia is of interest also to the artist. So the word was first used in 1516 by Sir Thomas More, and he coined the term utopia from two Greek words. Oi, or o, o, meaning no or not, and topos, meaning place, which translates to no place or nowhere. Um, and his utopia was an island that he positioned somewhere or nowhere in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, but, but what's interesting is that Moore was also playing with another Greek word, um, which means good. So the word has references to no place, nowhere, and also good place. Um, so again, we kind of have this, this paradox, these, these kind of overlapping and maybe contrasting ideas. 
One of the things Tanya knew very early on was what space she'd be working in. So the curator approached her um, with, the, with the kind of problem of this voyage that we can see exists in between exhibition spaces. I can see you're all so all inhabiting different exhibition spaces as we're sitting here. Um, but she was really intrigued at the um, potential of working in a space like this. So other works that the artist has created um, are really quite different. They're, they kind of take up entire gallery spaces and people um, can kind of walk around these little miniature universes. Um, you can never quite enter them, but you could see them from multiple perspectives. And so here she's really been limited to one area and she's had to work up the walls and on the on the, from the ceiling um, and she's been very conscious that we're looking into something. So she, she spoke to me a lot about this kind of space um, and so what that brought to her mind were ideas about caves um, and so all the wonder and the mystery that surround ideas of cave that have been of interest to humanity for a very long time. And so in talking about caves, she also spoke about stories where they were hard to locate, impossible to return to, and in many cases, um, sealed over at the end of a certain narrative. She was interested in caves that were the site of creation mythologies, where, I'm sorry, the, the sound gets very loud at certain points. Um, can everyone still hear me if I speak a little bit loudly? Um, so there's settings for um, paradises, these sacred sites, I guess, for ritual. Okay, I think we're okay now. So one of the stories that relates um, to caves that Tanya mentioned to me is the story of the sun goddess um, Amaterasu, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and so she spoke also about this story in the artist talk recently. And what fascinated her about this story, which essentially sees um, the sun goddess escaping into a cave after an argument, I guess, with her brother, um, it was a story where she, would, she went into the cave and therefore deprived the world of light um, and, in that sense, life. Uh, and so it was a process of different people and different ideas of, of trying to get her out of the cave. Eventually she came out. Some accounts say that she came out um, enticed by mirrors where she could see her own reflection as she's very beautiful. Um, but what was of interest, I think, to Tanya was... Um, just how powerful it was that this um, sun goddess was to escape and that the cave was the site of escape. She, I think, was very inspired to create this work with a lot of light coming from a lot of those stories. Um, she also mentioned to me, in terms of cave, Super Mario's Hazy Maze Cave. So very different to the story of Emma. Amatera Asu. So we're talking about Super Mario 64, where you play a game, um, where you go through a number of, of different um, pathways and bottomless pits where you um, normally end up in this cave. And in the cave, you might be scheming a way to find good from evil or uh, you find these large creatures. 
Um, she also mentioned an animated Japanese television series called Rainbow Bright, where there are also caves, so color caves. Um, so my memory of, of that animation is um, where the color kids mined um, gems from near the color caves, um, and then they are turned into um, these, I think, called color sprites that give life to the world. So again, we have this kind of idea of caves as a, as a place where you find, I guess, life. Um, so these are all very different stories, again, but they do materialise eventually, of course, into this work. And this is a work made up of various materials, which I'm hoping you can all look at a little bit more closely. Um, but knowing that it's a, a small world of detail, I'll just list out a few of the materials. So, of course, we've got pigmented caster sugar, which forms the kind of mountain ranges and these interconnected paths within the scene. Um, and I think Tanya mentioned there was about 300 kilograms of sugar in this work. We also have polyutherine that's having to deal with um, the walls and a ceiling of a space. And so these are covered with glitter, um, paint vegetation taken from um, plastic flowers or cake decorations, even fish pond accessories. Um, you see cotton balls, mini cupcakes, um, and cascading down the walls are these um, kind of party streamers. They may look like the tails um, from My Little Pony toys. Uh, so there's all, all sorts of things obviously happening in here. Um, and the very fact that there's an abundance of material is also what Tanya is, is clearly interested in um, and showing us, I guess, all the joys and the dangers of, of kind of fulfilling all of our desires. Um, what was fascinating for me in looking at the finished work was also the inclusion of mirrors on, on the walls and knowing all of the stories that she expressed to me. I thought about those mirrors as kind of portals into other worlds. Um, I also thought of Amatera Asu and her, her way out of the cave. Also, it's interesting to see light used in this work. So there are many kind of glowing eyes staring back at you. Um, and that comes from an interest in, in the idea that mountains have this kind of other life force or that nature or the inanimate can become animate. Um, and that there's this kind of spirit that resides in nature. And of course, that's, that's a concept um, and a belief held by many different cultures across the world and also in Australia. Another element of this work, another layer of the work, which again is, um, is almost too obvious to mention, but I will, is colour. So Tanya um, works from a painting background um, and she first creates a colour palette. Um, and so in her third or fourth email to me, she sent me the colour palette. Um, and so for her, she is directly referencing consumerism um, and the colours of advertising and the kind of the hyper-real energy of those colour advertisements. Um, she's interested in having to choose from consumer culture what we want based on colour um, and the kind of fight that we um, face when we kind of enter the world. Um, and so, of course, her materials relate to that idea, being from mass production. But they are also very carefully handcrafted. Um, and so the artist worked here for three weeks, almost 12 hours a day, to put this work together, um, working with a range of volunteers as well. 